On JPAM's Closer Look, we will be talking to leading authors published in the Journal of Policy Analysis and Management on timely topics such as healthcare, education, immigration reform, and economics. My guest for this episode is Rebecca Meyerson, Assistant Professor of Population Health Sciences at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I talked to her back in February about an interesting study she conducted that looks at Medicare coverage and if and how it improves cancer detection and other health outcomes, specifically mortality. The world has changed quite a bit since February in ways that make our discussion even more timely. With the emergence of the COVID-19 pandemic, calls for expanded health care access have greatly increased. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden just proposed a health care plan that involves expanding access to a public health insurance option like Medicare. He also recently proposed reducing the Medicare eligibility age to 60. The article entitled, Does Medicare Coverage Improve Cancer Detection and Mortality Outcomes? is now available online in JPAM, and we'll put a link on the podcast website as well. Dr. Meyerson's study is co-authored with a few colleagues, including Reginald Tucker Seeley, Dana Goldman, and Darius Lakdawalla. Please enjoy this episode and stay well. Welcome to the show, Professor Meyerson. Thank you. We're happy to have you today and, and really excited to talk about this important study. Before we get into the, uh, the specific findings, I want to take a moment just for the audience who might not be as familiar with health insurance in the U.S., to think about what exactly is Medicare, you're focusing on Medicare, how is that different from Medicaid and other types of insurance in the U.S.? Yes, absolutely. So Medicare is one of the largest public insurance programs in the U.S., and it actually provides nearly universal access to health insurance coverage for people over age 65, which features prominently in our study. So it does have some important differences when compared to other types of health insurance coverage that people might have in the U.S., So particularly important for cancer care, which is the focus of our study, everyone with Medicare gets access to hospital coverage, and almost everyone has access to infusion drugs, which is the sort of drugs that are often used for cancer treatment. And it also varies in some important ways when compared to Medicaid or private insurance. So we think that aging into Medicare, which is what we study in this particular paper, provides people with uh, meaningful differences in their cancer care. So I could tell you a little bit about a bit more about that, or we can dig. Yeah, into we'll get into that. But but at a <laughs> okay, yeah, at at a high level, I just wanted to make sure I understand Medicare is available for everybody when they hit sixty five. That's close. It reaches about ninety five percent of people. There are some restrictions. You must be a citizen or permanent resident. Have to have lived sufficiently long in the U.S. and contributed to the relevant funds during working age years, or your spouse contributed. But it does reach increases to nearly universal coverage levels. Okay, and that's regardless of income or employment status and things like that. Correct. It's regardless of current employment status, right? Okay. So I found the study fascinating because we're looking at how a certain policy can affect cancer mortality rates. And specifically, other people have studied this, right? Other people have looked at at how access to Medicare when they turn 65 affects other health outcomes. And it seems like they generally find small or even no effects when they're looking across the population as a whole. But then you find specific effects on specific diagnoses. 
and you're looking specifically at cancer. Do you want to say a little bit more about why you chose to focus the study on cancer as a health outcome and how that's different from looking at broader health outcomes? Right, definitely. So we focus on cancer patients because they're a group of people who need urgent access to health care. And I think that links pretty closely with what we hope that health insurance would do, provide protection to people who have a really urgent and potentially costly need for health care that may come on suddenly. So cancer, of course, is the top cause of death. And then advanced and life-saving or life-extending treatments are available, but extremely costly for someone who doesn't have health insurance potentially up to $70,000 for the first year of therapy. Oh, wow. And are you able to look at the effect of Medicare access on medical spending or on financial outcomes for household, or are you specifically focused on health outcomes here? We are focused on health outcomes, but other papers have looked at exactly that, and they have found that Medicare provides that cost protection for people who have health care needs. Okay. Yeah, because that's a really important role of insurance, I guess, is to protect families from unexpected expenses. Right. And that can be a mechanism underlying our findings, I would say. Okay. And then you're looking at specific types of cancer outcomes. You're looking at lung cancer, colorectal cancer, and breast cancer. Why those three types of cancer? Right. So that's true. We do focus on those three types of tumor types. Because those are the tumor types for which early detection has been shown to improve health outcomes, both for people above and below age 65. And that's important for our study design, which compares people above and below age 65. I think that's in particular useful because sometimes more is not better when it comes to health care. So there can be certain tumor types where a review of the medical literature has indicated that potentially there can be overdiagnosis and overtreatment where tumors that might never have harmed a patient much, may be detected and treated with surgery or chemo, and the surgery or chemo may be more harmful. The side effects of that may be more harmful than treatment of the cancer is beneficial. So we did try to zoom in on those types of cancers where this was determined to be, on average, helpful for patients to be detected and treated at these ages. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess that's, again, that's why you're looking at cancer generally and these types of cancer specifically because these are the places we'd expect to see insurance help. Yes. Makes perfect sense. And I think it's a really interesting point to highlight that a lot of times we might look at a big intervention or a big program, and it might look like it has no effect on general reported health or something like that. But that's really masking what could be important effects on specific subsets of the population. So I think that that's a really cool aspect of your study, I think. Thanks. Okay, and then we've mentioned this thing about age 65 a few times already. So let's dig in for a second into why this age 65 cutoff is so important. You use something called a regression discontinuity design to study the effect of Medicare coverage. We already said Medicare kicks in for most people in the United States at the age of 65. Do you want to say a little bit about the intuition behind this RD approach that you use? Yes, definitely. So the intuition behind the study design, the regression discontinuity analysis, is that Medicare coverage is nearly universally available at age 65, but not one day before it. So that creates a very sharp change in the availability of Medicare insurance with age. So essentially what the study design does is it compares data from people age 65 or slightly older with people who are slightly younger than age 65. And in doing so, we're very careful to try to make these 
groups as comparable as possible. So we do adjust for ongoing patterns of aging in the analysis, et cetera. Okay. So the basic idea is that somebody who's 64 and a half years old is more or less the same as somebody who's 65 and a half years old. That's the basic sort of comparison. They're very similar in every way, except that one has access to Medicare and one doesn't. Right. Again, if there is some amount of impact of even that small incremental effect of aging on cancer risk, we can account for that mathematically in the model as well. So the idea is that the outcomes would have continued along a smooth trend as people age and reach 65 and beyond in the absence of the Medicare program. But the fact that there's this sudden change in access to Medicare creates a break in that trend. Okay. And so without further ado, what happens at this break in trend? What happens? What do you see when people cross over that age 65 threshold? Right. So we see an increase in cancer detection for those three tumor sites that I mentioned, the lung, colorectal, and breast cancer. It's about a 10% increase compared to people just younger than age 65. And then we also see a decrease in cancer mortality, and that's measured at the population level deaths per 100,000 population. It's about a 4.5% decrease for women, again, compared to the people just younger than age 65. Okay. Would you say those are relatively big effects? meaningful effects? I think so, in the sense that uh, you can calculate the number of deaths avoided, and that would reach nearly 2,000 cancer-related deaths avoided during our sample period for people with these three tumor types. I would also add, of course, with this study design, we're really using that break-in trend exactly at age 65. So what we're able to look at is the impact of aging into Medicare at age 65. Unfortunately, we can't say what the full effect of Medicare on how many, for example, how many deaths were avoided at all ages, 65 plus, by having access, nearly universal access to Medicare. Presumably that would be much larger, but it's not something we're able to pin down. I see. And you focus on cancers that have A and B grades for screening. Could you explain a little bit for our listeners what those grades mean and and how that's relevant for interpreting these results? Yes, definitely. So the A and B grades are important because sometimes more is not better when it comes to healthcare. So for some tumor types, overscreening becomes a potential source of health problems. For example, excessive screening, for example, a cervical cancer screening is not recommended above age 65. The thought being that it may disproportionately identify slow-growing tumors that might never have caused the patient significant harm. And the relatively small benefits of that would need to be weighed against the potential side effects of treatment, including chemo, including surgery. So systematically, the literature has been reviewed, and those tumor types and age groups that receive an A and B grade are the tumor types for which early detection and treatment is considered to be health-improving. Okay. So that means that we know how to respond. We know what treatments to deploy if a cancer of that type is detected. Precisely. These health benefits of treatment outweigh the potential harms on the population level. I see. Okay. So that's another reason that you chose these um, three types of cancer to focus on. Right. Okay. And then the main results seem to vary a little bit by gender. Why do you think that is happening? I know breast cancer, I guess, is, is predominantly an issue for women. But for all three types of cancer, there seemed like there were some differences by gender. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Oh, absolutely. So, right, our sample does include those three tumor types, one of which, as you noted, breast cancer predominantly occurs among women. So we might be tempted to think that if the decline in breast cancer mortality is driving the overall mortality reductions, that could account for the disproportionate effect we find among women, that namely that aging into Medicare was associated with the decline in cancer-related mortality specifically among women. But I actually think that's not the whole story because, as you mentioned, we can compare apples to apples for all three tumor types. For example, when we look at lung cancer, we do find a larger mortality impact among women than men, even just looking at lung cancer. So I do think that it's plausible that gender could play an important role in determining the impact of insurance on health. And that's something that hasn't been explored very much in the literature. However, there are some studies that can give a hint about possible reasons, and I think that it's worth exploring more. There have been some studies that found gender differences in the propensity of women versus men to use preventive health care and found that women are more likely to use preventive health care and maybe less likely than men to delay seeking needed health care, even for the same given level of symptoms. Okay. And does using the preventive health care only refer to going in for checkups, or does it also have to do with following the doctor's advice or prescriptions? Related to the gender differences, I think there's a lot we don't know about that, about exactly where those differences occur. And I think it's a great topic for future study. But in terms of what was underlying the findings in this paper, I think it's absolutely both. And I could talk a little bit more about the mechanisms, if you'd like. Yeah, let's go for it. I think that's a really interesting part of of thinking about sort of why we're seeing what we're seeing. We looked a little bit using national survey data from the BRFSS to try to understand whether increases in screening were contributing to what we were finding in terms of those mortality impacts. And we do find an increase in checkups and an increase in specifically cancer screening, breast cancer screening, colorectal cancer screening at age 65. But actually, I don't think that's the only mechanism underlying our findings, because those preventive screenings and checkups improve diagnosis among people who have no symptoms. It's sort of that regular, every certain number of years, you'd have that check, regardless of whether you feel sick. But the fact that lung cancer is what is driving the decline in mortality that we see suggests that it's also pretty important that Medicare provides access to treatment for people who do have symptoms because lung cancer screening was not widespread throughout much of our sample period. So as for the question of whether people are cognizant that their care is being delayed before they get access to Medicare, that would suggest that maybe that's the case, that some people with symptoms do feel that they lack the access to treatment that they need and have to wait until they have that high-quality insurance that Medicare provides before they can get that treatment, specialty care that they need. That seems like a depressing thought that people would be putting off treatment that they know or think they need while they wait to become eligible for insurance. Exactly. But my co-author, Reggie Tucker-Seely, has noted that from his own interactions with patients in the community that people do have to go through that, that agonizing experience of knowing they need access to care and, and not being able to receive it yet. Yeah. I guess another somewhat depressing result in the paper I found was the some of the racial disparities. We talked about the gender disparities, but then you also break things down by race and intersectionally race by gender. And I thought this was a really important result too. It seemed like black men did not receive the benefit 
that Black women did. Did I read that right? And do you want to talk a little bit more about those differences more generally? Yes, I agree. I thought that was a really interesting finding. So after becoming eligible for Medicare at age 65, we found that Black women in particular experienced a large increase in early stage cancer detection, so about 15% increase for them, and also a particularly large decline in cancer mortality of about 9%. So that's very encouraging because there have been racial disparities within women in cancer detection and outcomes. And this shows that there can be an increase in health equity as people gain that nearly universal high-quality health insurance coverage from Medicare. But as you noted, in, in contrast to those encouraging results for Black women, we didn't find a significant change for Black men, which is, of course, very disappointing because those racial disparities are just as important for men. Black men in particular, very high cancer mortality. And I think that that raises important questions for future research. Why isn't insurance enough for that particular vulnerable population of Black men? And what other barriers do they face? How can policy better address those barriers? Yeah, for sure. For our background here, the racial disparities are in detection. Do we have any sense of whether there's also racial disparities in actual cancer rates, or is that conflated with differences in checkups and things like that? So that's a really good question. I think for cancer, a lot of cancer can be asymptomatic for a very long time. And unlike a condition like diabetes, where there's a simple blood test to check whether someone has undiagnosed diabetes, really we get data on cancer prevalence when people are detected. The exception would be people who are detected at autopsy. So actually, that is why we include cancer mortality measured using death certificates as our measure of cancer mortality, because that does capture those people who are never detected in their lifetime but still died of cancer. But in terms of the racial disparities, there have been disparities shown both for detection and survival post-detection, so stage at detection We found even in our own data a gap by race in whether people were detected at a late stage or an early stage, which suggests differences in how long people spend in that asymptomatic period or how long their their detection is delayed. And there are also important differences in outcomes. Okay, so we have these sort of broad results. It looks like Medicare coverage, increased detection and delayed mortality or reduced mortality There's some interesting differences across demographics, but then another demographic difference, so to speak, is that you then replicate the analysis in Canada and again compare people over and under 65 in Canada. What's the goal of that analysis and what does that mean for the U.S. results and and why did you package this together in the study? So that's a great question. We brought in Canada because Canada does not have a change in access to health insurance coverage at age 65. The residents of any age can have access to that public health insurance. So our goal in looking at Canada was to test one possible concern, which is that other life changes could happen to everyone at age 65, maybe some sudden change in the aging process, and that that, we might worry, could account for our findings. So unfortunately, in the United States, Medicare access and turning 65 have been in intertwined for a very long time, since the 1960s, long before we were able to measure the outcomes we needed to measure. So bringing in Canada allows us to consider what things might look like. What would that discontinuity be, that change be at age 65, if the connection between 
aging into Medicare and becoming age 65 were broken. So we look at data from Statistics Canada and graph those alongside data from the United States. And we find that cancer mortality was nearly identical in both countries per 100,000 population prior to age 65. And then at age 65, the data from the two countries start to diverge with a relative drop in cancer mortality in the United States, so better outcomes, improvements in outcomes in the United States disproportionately. And we've seen a similar pattern in cancer detection. So there's that jump upward at age 65 in the United States, but nothing comparable in Canada. Okay. And so that that lends us to believe even more strongly that, that this is a real causal effect of Medicare, since we don't see anything strange happening at age 65 in Canada. Right, exactly. So if there's something intrinsic to how people change at age 65, we would also see it in Canada. I guess a lot of people retire at, at 65. Is retirement something that might be mixed up in this? That is a great question and something we looked at as well using the survey data from the BRFSS. So we looked at some economic variables such as education, whether people were, we looked at whether people were veterans, we looked at whether they were currently working and whether they consider themselves to be retired. Just had a look at whether there was a jump in those variables at age 65 as well to see what other life changes were going on at the same time. And we found that these were pretty smooth at age 65. We didn't find a discontinuity with the exception of whether people consider themselves to be retired, which does match what you're saying, but it also matches another piece of literature about health insurance in the United States, which is that people may continue working in jobs that they would otherwise not continue working in simply to gain access to health insurance. And that's been shown in other, in other contexts as well, sort of this job lock and so it could, in fact, be an effect of Medicare itself in reducing job lock, people letting go of a job once they finally have access to Medicare. Yeah, we talked about job lock with Jonathan Gruber from MIT a couple of weeks ago on the podcast when we talked about what we've learned from the ACA. Do you want to just define job lock for our listeners again? Oh, yes, absolutely. So job lock, the idea is that someone might stay in a job that they may not have wanted to stay in otherwise, simply because that job provides them with health insurance. And I suppose for the case of the ACA, there has been some literature looking at, for example, health insurance coverage among freelancers or among artists or people who may not receive that health insurance coverage through their job, maybe having that well-developed individual market, having options for health insurance. In our case, it's Medicare. In the case of AACA, maybe the individual market would allow them to pursue the jobs they really want. Okay. So Medicare, in a sense, gives people freedom to make retirement decisions, make job change decisions free of any insurance concerns. Yes. One last technical question, at the risk of getting a little too technical, maybe, but I was really intrigued by this concern about diagnosis bias that you talk about. That's not something I, I had ever heard of before. And I was just sort of fascinated by the potential consequences of this idea. So could you say a little bit for our listeners in general terms about what this diagnosis bias is and what its consequences are for research of this type and then how your study sort of uniquely avoids this problem? Yes. Yeah, so in cancer research, diagnosis bias can be a really important issue because it means that post-diagnosis survival can be a tricky metric. 
in a cancer registry, you can see when people are diagnosed and when they die. And the number of years in between the two is considered post-diagnosis survival. However, people with cancer can be asymptomatic for a really long time. Like I mentioned, some are diagnosed earlier, some later. And diagnosing patients earlier will make that post-diagnosis survival metric look really good, appear to improve, even if earlier diagnosis doesn't actually save lives. So to see that, imagine the example of somebody who their life course was such that they would develop cancer at 71 and then die at 76. And if that person is diagnosed at 74, still pass away at 76, the post-diagnosis survival appears to be two years. If, for whatever reason, he's diagnosed a couple of years earlier, that post-diagnosis survival metric will double to four years, but he still would pass away at the same time. So actually, his health really hasn't changed. It's just a change in the metric. So we were able to get around this issue to make sure that we're looking at real health changes, real health improvements, rather than, rather than just changes in the metric, by looking at the effects of Medicare at age 65 on cancer mortality. And... Like I mentioned before, that uses vital statistics t- data, and that records all tumors, regardless of when people were diagnosed. And in fact, it also captures tumors for some people who are never diagnosed in their lifetimes and only diagnosed at autopsy. So that, that was how we get around that issue in our paper. I see. And does that happen often, that things are diagnosed at autopsy that were never diagnosed before? It could happen, yes. And this also, I guess a lot of aspects of the study are based on having effective treatments, which I guess we didn't talk a ton about, but there is, I suppose, some clinical evidence that there are some effective treatments for all three types of cancers that you study here. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So there are randomized controlled trials showing that lives are saved by access to these treatments. And there have been great advances, particularly in the field of of cancer therapies during our sample period. But those therapies are often very expensive. So for people without access to health insurance, it really can make a difference in whether they get treated and whether they get the very specialized treatment that would help improve their outcomes for their particular tumor. Right. Important and heavy stuff. So let's close by talking about the policy implications of these findings. Maybe first you want to reiterate the two or three key findings you think from the study. And then what Should state, federal policymakers take away from this? What should medical professionals and doctors, hospital managers take away from this? Right. So I think this study is important because Medicare is as close as we get in the United States to universal coverage, which I know is a policy topic that's frequently discussed. So if we wonder what universal coverage might look like in the United States and what what it might do, this helps us to get a sense. And we, we zoom in on a group of people who need urgent access to care that can be very specialized, that can be very costly, people with cancer. And we find that this form of universal, nearly universal coverage through Medicare improves health outcomes related to cancer, reduces cancer mortality for women, and also increases cancer detection. So our findings as well are suggestive that Medicare, this nearly universal access to coverage, can improve health equity, given that we find a larger effect for black women, a group that was disproportionately detected a bit later and had poor health outcomes related to cancer prior to age 65. And I think that's important because those are two key points of what we would hope our health policy would deliver. 
improving health for people who are sick, giving people a chance to get treated, and giving everyone, regardless of race, a chance to be healthy. Agreed. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's a a fascinating study that we uh, have a link up to on the podcast website so people can take a closer look. And thanks again to our guest, Rebecca Meyerson, for talking about this important research today. Thank you so much, Seth. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of JPAM, the Journal of Policy Analysis and Management in conjunction with American University's School of Public Affairs. Please follow us on the APAM website and search for the JPAM podcast.